Kia ora, I'm Jen Black and welcome to The Short Read. This week I'm joined by Elsie Uwini who won the Emerging Pacifica Rider in the Sunday Star Times short story competition. Later on you'll hear her piece, A Good Thing. But first, let's hear from Elsie herself. Kia ora Elsie, how are you? Kia ora, Jen, I'm good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad, yeah. And so tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Elsie. Um, I am an Afakasi woman. So my dad is Samoan and my mum is European New Zealander. Um, and in the daytime, I am a classroom teacher with a beautiful bunch of year threes and fours. Yeah, I feel like there's not much else to me. Teaching is very all-consuming in all the best ways. <laughs> not much Elsie to you. All the puns. Little good fun. Um, how did it feel when um, Tracy told you that you'd won the Emerging Pacifica Writers Award? This year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this year it felt kind of surreal. I guess when I was entering it, I still had in my mind that last year's win was a fluke. Um, and even I had been telling everyone, I was like, oh, no, I'm pretty sure I was the only person who entered in that category. Like, it's the first year. Um, so when she called me, um, well, I actually had to call her back because I was at work. Um, it was kind of a, I don't know, I... I feel like I always have a lot of words to say, but I was so speechless because I was just, I think I was silent for a bit on the phone. She must have thought we dropped connection or something. Um, so very, very shocked and surprised. Awesome. And um, tell us a little bit about your story, A Good Thing. What's it about? Yeah, so A Good Thing, um, it kind of is about grief. Um, and I mean, it's not explicit in the coping of grief, but it's kind of, um, we've got our main character, Amatanga, who is trying to grieve the loss of a child, a stillborn child. Um, And even though it's been many years since she had lost the child, still trying to come to terms with what her, you know, she had all these hopes and dreams for what her life was going to be like. And then suddenly it was thrown into a different um, trajectory. Um, And so kind of her her dealing with that grief while also her husband kind of has his own way of dealing with the grief and how they can come together to sort of meet in the middle and realise that even though their grieving might look different, um, you know, they're still a unit, they're still a family and there's still joy <laughs> moments. Yeah. But yeah. No wonder you won it. <laughs> Me reading the first couple of sentences, I was like, this is about a garage sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, I feel like it's like, um, and then I was like, oh my gosh, no, it's not about a garage sale. But it's like the ability to incorporate those themes and things into just kind of everyday writing. Yeah. Yeah. Because life just, you keep forgetting that life just goes on after these big losses. Um, so it's kind of trying to bring in that grief of someone who still has to move forward with their life and who's left here on earth and has to live without that. So lots of different grief aspects in it. Yeah, for sure. And what and kind of what was the inspiration to write this? Did this just come out of thin air or <laughs> was there something that happened? Um, well, I've always been a lover of other people's stories. Um, one of my favourite things to do is just listen to people talk about their life and to be fair, it's more the trauma of other people's lives that I love to listen to, which sounds a bit a bit sad. But I just enjoy it because I love that there's an unfiltered version to someone. And even though when I first meet a person, because they don't come up to me and say, Elsie, hey, here's my trauma. And the first time I meet them, um, 
but I love that perspective I've, I get of their life where I had perceived them as a super happy person with like nothing going on and then suddenly you get to know people and they share these different things that they've had to journey through in their life. Um, so definitely the part that, um, or one inspiration for the story was the idea of the people you see but the battles they fight or the person they are behind closed doors um, and kind of that journey they go through because you know to everyone else it is a garage sale and wow how cool that there's these brand new baby clothes that we can give to someone else for cheap but it's like why is someone selling baby clothes that have never been used um, and the assumptions we can make and how so I think the inspiration came from just that love of knowing that there are layers to people mm. um, and then also yeah I remember years ago just seeing a garage sale sign um, and on it was that you know, it was like brand new baby booties or something, like the little shoes. Um, and yeah, sometimes my head just goes a million miles an hour with like, why? I just always have to know, why do you have that? Why are you selling that? Um, and maybe they just happened to sell them or they made them themselves. Like it wasn't some big sad story. But yeah, that's kind of the two inspirations for the story. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely made me think of like, I, I do a lot of op shopping in my spare time and it's like, Sometimes I get into this weird thing and I'm like, I wonder who had this before yeah. me. Like, what was their life? What did they do? Um, yeah. When did they wear it? Like, was this like a special top to them? Yeah. Was it given to them by someone? And then I'm just on this whole spiral. So, like, I, you've really encapsulated that in your yeah. work. Um, and so you won the competition, the same award last year, correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nuts. Um, so is this... Um, where do you want your writing to um, take you in the future? You've won two. You've won two um, short story yeah. emerging Pacifica writer awards. What's the next big goal you're looking after? Um, well, my story last year was called Oh gosh, what was it called? No small thing. And then the one I wrote this year was called A Good Thing. And I didn't intentionally match up the names for it. And I guess going back and reflecting on the stories that they both tell um, and how they kind of link up. It kind of sparked an interest in sharing a book of short stories. Um, so that's something I'd be interested in working in next. Um, but definitely I think I'd be, I would love to do work where it tells the story of my people because growing up, I guess you didn't really have like, I was such a lover of literature. I loved reading. I loved everything books. Um, but the characters I read about, didn't really resemble the life I had at home or what my family and stuff were. And even though, you know, how this story is about grief, um, and even though grief is a universal experience that everyone goes through at some point, um, it still wasn't told from our perspective. So I guess I, I would love to give stories to the younger version of me, um, but the ones who are around now um, and in the future. So there are stories that show that it is normal to go through grief and you don't have to, you know, sometimes I think in the Samoan culture it can feel like sometimes we need to kind of just, um, I don't know what words to give it, but just we need to kind of, um, kind of brush it aside and move forward and move on. Um, but I want people to know that there's no one way to feel these emotions yeah and that yeah if that makes sense I yeah I guess it's kind of like you obviously you want to create more short stories and potentially a book or something but it's it's being the um 
author and this like creating the stories that you wish you had as a young person yeah. and you wish that you could see yourself in stories that you read as a child definitely um, especially because yeah. um, I imagine it ties in with you being a teacher um, because you're dealing with children all the time and then <laughs> how important it is to them to see themselves within literature and yeah. media and things like yeah, that so true and I think also um, another way where it goes is you know even winning it two years in a row and having this feedback from people last year when I won I never shared my story with anyone so I didn't put it up like wow I won here's my story like have a read because I was still so embarrassed of it I was like there's no way this is actually good writing like I said earlier like I'm sure I was the only person who entered for this first year of this um, category being up um, and this year I mean the story hasn't been published yet but I'm I can still feel that hesitation of wanting to share my story of like why would anyone want to read what I have to write so when I think about what this has done for me I'm like it won awards and they could have been like actually there was no good stories this year so there was no winner in this category but I want to instill that confidence in my students that whatever they write is worth reading and their voices are worth hearing Um, so I want to build a confidence in my students that they could be the next famous author and even though my stories might end here for them I want them to um, I guess feel like they belong in spaces where they might not usually see themselves. Cool that's so awesome Um, and if is there anywhere people can go to find your previous work Um, where, where can they look to get a little bit more of Elsie? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't even share it with my closest friends and family. So um, it's a work in progress on where you can find it. I mean, a good old Google search will bring it up. But definitely, I think in the coming years, I hope to be to practice what I preach to my students and, um, yeah, be a bit more bold and claiming. Maybe maybe one year you'll be the judge because you've won it so many times. You just have to, they'll be like... Well, we can't have her win it for the 5,000th yeah. time. We have to have her as a judge. Yeah, that's like, because um, I had told everyone, I was like, I'm not going to submit a story for next year's one. I wasn't even going to submit one this year, but um, I had a follow-up interview um, leading up to it. And they're like, have you submitted your story yet? I was like, am I allowed? Like, when do you stop being emerging? Like, one win feels pretty big to me. Um, so next year I was like, okay, there's no way they're going to be like, you're not still emerging. It's been three years now, Elsie. Go, go publish your own book now. So, yeah. Thanks, Elsie. Now we have Christine Ravoy reading A Good Thing. Garage sale. Read the sign on Amatanga's front yard. She watched as Liam hammered it further into the ground, muttering to himself as he narrowly missed his thumb. This is a good thing, Ama. Think of how many people will be blessed by our sale. Amatanga managed a wry smile as she turned from her husband and went to grab the final boxes to unpack. This sale had been his idea. Time to clear out the clutter and... He hadn't finished his sentence when he noticed the pained look on her face. Silence. Well, you know what I mean. It's been years. It's time to move on. A furious blush crept up his neck and to the tip of his ears as Amatanga stared blankly at him, thinking not for the first time about how different they truly were. Amatanga went back inside and braced herself as she crept into the room she had been avoiding for years. 
The entire room's contents had been packed into boxes by Liam. Clothes, toys, books, extras. That was it. Everything crammed into three small boxes. The only thing left standing was the bassinet, with its light yellow frills that once held the promise of holding joy, wonder and life. Amatanga moved as if to drag it out onto the yard for the sale, as Liam's words spoken earlier echoed around her head like a twisted chant. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. But how could a bassinet only filled with broken promises be a good thing? With a shake of her head, she walked away, balancing only the three boxes. She could let Liam convince her to sell everything else, but not this. Sweet. Thanks, Amma. That should be the last of it, called out Liam as he came bounding up the steps to grab the boxes from her. Amatanga took a moment from where she stood and looked at their belongings, desperately wishing she could sweep it all back inside, away from prying eyes and away from strange hands. Instead, she squared her shoulders and walked out to greet the first customers. Morena! called out a woman who seemed vaguely familiar. Wow, check all this out. You fellows moving? Amatanga gave a polite chuckle and slight shake of her head. No, no, nothing like that. Just hoping to clear up some space. Give a shout out if you need help with anything. Satisfied, the woman turned and began rummaging through the items, pulling up random things that caught her eye and showing it to two very indifferent-looking teens standing behind her. Amatanga found herself drifting towards the quiet corner where Liam had laid out the baby items. This is a good thing. This is a good thing, she repeated. Her fingers wistfully brushing down a tiny cardigan. Was it weird to feel this attached to clothes and things that had never been filled by a baby? It felt wrong that a stranger would be filling out these clothes, someone she had never thought about, prayed for, or knew. She pulled her hand away as if burnt by the thought. By now, a few more people had wandered over and begun picking through their belongings. A woman smiled at Amatanga as she showed her sticky-fingered child some toys she could play with. The woman picked up and inspected the very cardigan Amatanga had been fretting over. They grow up so quickly, it's hard to keep up, the woman chuckled. Amatanga looked at her a little confused. The woman gestured to the clothes. Abby over here came out already too big for newborn clothes. Luckily, my sister-in-law was expecting soon after us, so she could use the mountain pile of clothes we never needed. The woman smiled at her as if they now shared a bond over children too big and clothes never worn. Amatanga wanted to let her know that her baby had never been big enough for the clothes laid out and that she would never grow into them, but the unspoken words clutched at her heart and scratched at her throat. So instead, she mirrored the conspiratorial smile and managed to croak out a dry laugh. Kids, eh? The woman thankfully returned her attention to her child and helped her pick out a few books before continuing on to other parts of the sale. Oh, man, look at these neat gears. Amatanga looked up and saw the woman who had come earlier with her two teens, both of whom still looked as if they wished they could be anywhere else. 
They all look brand new. Hey, girls, come look at this. What do you think? For Auntie Marama, for when the twins come. One of the teenagers dragged her feet closer to spare a quick glance at what she was showing before giving a brief nod of approval. This is neat, all right. How much for these? The woman asked Amatanga. The exchange was short, and the three moved on with their arms filled. Many people came through, and finally the sale was nearing its end. Liam made his way over to his wife. Hey, I know today was hard, and maybe not what you wanted to do, but I'm so proud of you, of us. This is a good thing. He wrapped his arm around her shoulder and placed a gentle kiss on her temple. A good thing. They stood there a moment, both surveying what was left of their belongings, before Liam excused himself to go inside and go to the toilet. As Amatanga turned to keep an eye on the sail once more, she saw their neighbor, Manaya, amble her way over to their garage barefoot. Amatanga had strategically been avoiding her for the past few months, often watching through her blinds, waiting for Manaya to leave for work first so they wouldn't have to exchange pleasantries or wait in awkward silence as Manaya would no doubt look at her expectantly waiting for pregnancy-related questions. Manaya finally stood in front of Amatanga, radiant in her pregnancy. Thank God, I thought I was too late. I had a scan this morning and hurried over as soon as I could, which was harder than you might think. These feet of mine are so swollen. I move slower than a kuya, and I don't fit any of my shoes anymore. Baby can't come soon enough. He's ruining my body. Amatanga smiled at Manaya. She couldn't blame her. It was not as if she was boasting about being able to carry a healthy baby, and she couldn't know that Amatanga would take a ruined body over a ruined heart and soul in a heartbeat. Manaya had moved in a few years after Amatanga and Liam had had to bury their little baby. She hadn't seen Amatanga in an almost identical state, walking up and down the driveway, barefoot and wishing for their baby to make her grand entrance. I'm glad you made it. We've already sold so much, but take your time. We can wait for you. Liam will be out soon and he can help you carry things home. You're too kind, Ama. Thank you. Manaya walked around picking up a cookbook before wrapping one of Amatanga's scarves around her neck. I loved that scarf. It's really warm and just big enough to be a throw blanket. Manaya acknowledged her with a smile before continuing to pick up little knickknacks. Oh, how perfect, she called out holding up a baby swaddle. Sorry, Ama, do you have a bag? Look at me, always grabbing more than I think I will. But there's still so much I need to grab before Peppy gets here. I'll see if I've got a bag in my boot. As Amatanga began rummaging in her boot, she heard the door swing open and Liam call out a greeting to Manaya. Oh, actually, Manaya, great timing. I must have forgotten to bring this out, and it'll be perfect for your baby when he comes home. Want me to carry it over? That would be amazing. I was just telling Ama that I have such a long list of... Amatanga didn't hear the rest of the sentence. Her heart was beating so loud it drowned out all other sound. Slowly, she rounded the corner of her car to see Liam starting to carry the bassinet with the yellow frills down the steps. The very bassinet that carried both promises to be fulfilled and promises already broken. 
She was frozen watching the two of them slowly walk towards Manaya's house. This couldn't be happening. The last thing in the house to remember their baby by, and he was giving it away. Was he trying to erase her memory? It was all Amatanga had to hold on to. A strangled cry fought its way out of her. No! Liam and Manaya paused, jumping a little at sudden outburst. Amatanga all but ran up to the pier and tried to yank it out of Liam's hands. No, she said, this time a little more composed, though still a little frantic. She searched her brain for a reason for her outburst, as Liam looked at her with what looked like a mixture of pity and embarrassment. Someone already bought it. That's why it's inside. They have to come get it tomorrow. Liam's grip didn't loosen as Amatanga attempted to yank it away again. You can't have it, Manaya. Buy your baby its own bassinet. Liam flinched at the venom in Amatanga's tone, but he didn't understand. He never had. He hadn't carried their baby to full term. He hadn't felt its heartbeat, its restless movements. He hadn't had to push out a baby that would never cry. His body hadn't prepared for the arrival of a baby and spent months readjusting itself when there was no baby to nourish. He had cried and he had mourned with her, and deep down, Amatanga knew this was his way of dealing with the grief. To hide away the things that were a constant reminder of what they never had, but Amatanga needed this. She didn't want life to go on as if nothing had happened. She wanted to be reminded of the joy they had in the months leading up and the promise of a new life. She didn't want to close the door on this dream. She willed Liam to understand this as she used his momentary shock to yank the bassinet out of his grasp. Amatanga struggled to carry the bassinet back, heat rising up her cheeks in regret of how she'd spoken to Manaya. She didn't glance back as Liam apologized for the mix-up, and Manaya tried to reassure him that it was okay. Amatanga crashed through the door of what should have been a nursery and put the bassinet exactly where it was. Then she let the fillings wash over her. She hadn't done it in a while, and her hesitant sobs eventually bubbled into silent screams as the tears rushed down her face. She crumpled to the ground, one hand holding onto the leg of the bassinet. I'm sorry. She cried over and over, for what she couldn't be sure. Amatanga laid curled next to the bassinet for hours. The crying had since stopped, and now she was left feeling empty. She numbly listened as Liam began packing down the garage sale by himself, boxing everything and driving to the local hospice to donate it all. The sun had well and truly gone down by the time he returned. She could hear him place his keys in the bowl, kick his shoes off, and then nothing. Was he as frozen as Amatanga felt? Her question was answered as the door behind her slowly creaked open. Liam didn't say anything as he came and sat, hesitating before lying down behind her and enveloping her with a hug. The tears were back. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. They laid like that for a while, Liam stroking Amatanga's hair as they both cried and Liam kept murmuring his apology like a prayer. Eventually, she turned to face him. Her bones felt stiff from lying on the hard floor, but she couldn't bring herself to move. I keep praying that maybe one day we will have a baby to fill that bassinet. 
We can't have gone through that pain to have nothing. Her words trailed off as she nuzzled her head into Liam's chest. She'd never vocalized her prayer before, and it felt too vulnerable. I know, he sighed. I do too. Amatanga was taken aback. In the seven years since they'd lost their baby, Liam hadn't broached the subject. When he made plans for the future, it felt as if his dream to be a father had died with their baby. He planned trips and ventures that didn't quite fit a newborn. It felt to Amatanga like he had boxed his grief and stored it away as he moved on with life. She couldn't help but feel a twinge of guilt that she couldn't give them what they both so desperately wanted and strangely reassured that despite their current situation, Liam had stood by her side. He was a good man, and he had given her space to grieve as she needed. Seven whole years of keeping a haunting of a room that pained him to see, and seven years of praying on their behalf. I don't know how to let go, Amatanga confessed. You don't have to. There was silence again, this time more comfortable, as they both pondered what had been shared in the dark and how they might both move forward. Liam stood. I'm going to get dinner started if you want to join. He reached out his hand, and Amatanga took it without hesitation. Amatanga switched on some music, and they both moved in rhythm, dancing around one another as they created a meal together. Both were so lost in their tasks that Amatanga startled when Liam's deep singing voice intruded her thoughts. He grabbed her by the waist and twirled her around as he continued singing loudly and badly. Amatanga couldn't help but smile and give a genuine laugh as they spun around the kitchen to Jim Reeves. Liam had just dipped her when a light burning smell began to seep through the kitchen. The potatoes, Liam cried, nearly dropping Amatanga in his haste to save the potatoes. She laughed some more at his ridiculous hopping and yelping as he burnt his hands on the oven tray, and suddenly she was hit with the realization that there was still joy and life in this house, and while it lived hand in hand with hurt and grief, this was the life they had made for themselves. In a sudden burst of adrenaline, and perhaps a little insanity, Amatanga raced into the nursery and came running out again with the bassinet. Liam looked confused as she emerged but barely had time to question it as she awkwardly pulled the front door open and ran out barefoot, bassinet in hand, to her neighbor's house. She banged on the door frantically, realizing a fraction too late that it was quite a late hour. As she dropped her hand and considered dragging the bassinet back, the door flung open to a concerned-looking Manaya. There was no turning back now. Oh, Amma, here. The people didn't want it anymore. It's for you and your baby boy. I think you said you were having a boy. Amatanga interrupted Manaya as she tried to thrust the bassinet through the door. Wow, um, okay. Let's carry it through here. How much do I owe you? It's such a lovely bassinet. No, don't worry about that. Just promise me you'll take good care of it. Are you sure? What a blessing. But please, what about a cup of tea then? Amatanga smiled gratefully at Manaya. Thank you, but Liam is waiting for me. We were just making dinner. Maybe. Well, maybe you can just promise me. 
that when we need it, we can borrow it back. Manaya threw her arms around Amatanga. Of course, you and Liam would make great parents. Thank you. Thank you again. Amatanga waved goodbye as she walked back to her house feeling lighter. What was that all about? Liam asked as she sat down at the table. Oh, nothing. Just a good thing. You've been listening to A Good Thing by Elsie Uwini on the Short Read Podcast. This story was read by Christine Ravoy, edited by Connor Scott, and produced by me, Jen Black. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to hear more stunning stories by up-and-coming New Zealand writers, or head to www.stuff.co.nz forward slash the short read. Ka kite. Kia ora Aotearoa and welcome to the Big Stuff Quiz. I'm your host Imogen Wells alongside my assistant, the wonderful Chris Reid. Hello everyone. Each week we'll release a new episode to test your wits with two rounds of ten questions. One hot luck round and another that's very loosely themed. A bit tangential even. Such a good word. If you think you're up for the challenge, go and follow our show on your favourite podcast platform. The Big Stuff Quiz is out now. The Big Stuff Quiz is proudly brought to you by Melbourne. Every bit different.